Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. It is, uh, and it's so good to be with you guys here on a Sunday morning. Everybody have a pretty good week. Everybody doing all right? Let, let me tell you a little bit about my weekend the past couple days. So just a couple days ago, Aaron and I were uh, up here at the church, and we were, uh, we were just moving some boxes, and I uh, took my laptop and my ba- brand new iPad Pro and put them on top of her van and said, just, I'm going to keep them right here. I'm going to load these boxes. An hour and a half later, it dawned on me while I was in Knoxville. I never got my computer or my iPad. So I called Aaron in a pace and said, babe, listen, can you go up to church? Let's see if it's still there. And, and she found them in the middle of Veterans Boulevard. And a lot of cars ran over them. I mean, just in a million pieces. I was like, oh, my life, my a thousand sermons, everything on those things. And, but good thing we backed it up. Except for we didn't do it right. So nothing's left, right? And then this morning, I was, uh, my, my little boy's sick. I got a one-year-old little boy, and he's just, he's got that sickness, right? I hate when my kids are sick, but I sort of kind of love it because they're real snuggly, you know? Like, fever's terrible, except for they just want to be held, and I love that part of it. And, uh, and so this morning, I woke up, he's just still sick, and so, man, I stayed in bed with him all morning. I never do. I'm usually here early and stayed in bed with him all morning until I just had to come to preach in the first service this morning. You know, I was thinking this morning, driving over, uh, you know, sometimes... It's just hard to go to church. Y'all ever feel like it's just it's hard to get here sometimes, right? My sermon was on my computer. Man, I spent all of Championship Saturday going back through, writing down my sermon, all those things. And, and, and my kids being sick and being with him this morning. And it's, sometimes it's just hard to get to church. But you know what? Sure is worthy, isn't it? Sure is worthy just to, to gather together, to make much of Jesus together. To, to sing his praises together, to, to preach his truth together, not only hearing but living out his, his word. It is just absolutely worthy to be together. And I just want to say it is so good uh, to do that with you today. Now we continue in a series of messages entitled A Vintage Christmas. This Christmas season, it's been our heart to take a look at the Christmas story through the lens, through the eyes of the Old Testament. Understanding this, that Christmas did not just begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Rather, God had a plan for Christmas since the very beginning. Last week, we saw the first flickers of Christmas light there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When man, sin, rebel, committed treason against God, God had a rescue plan in place. And we celebrated this truth. You ready? The wait is over the Savior has come. And today, much like last week, we go back to the word of God. And here's the truth we have found, and here's the truth that we celebrate today, and that is found in the Hebrew name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Here's what I want you to do, you Hebrew scholars out there. I want you to look at your neighbor, just say Emmanuel. And don't don't you feel smarter, better a little bit this morning? Emmanuel, God with us, is the very truth that you and I celebrate today. A vintage Christmas. I love the word vintage. Man, it just sounds good rolling off 
the lips. In fact, as a noun, vintage speaks to a superior wine dated back to a certain time period where winemaking was really, really good. Now, I know what you're doing. You're, where, where did you get that from? You ready? It's from my mom's stash, okay? Just so y'all know, I got it from her. I'm kidding. Listen, it's sparkling grape juice. Y'all check in on the Baptists around you. Make sure they're not hyperventilating, okay? It's not any alcohol. If you're Methodist and Church of God background, y'all calm down. There's no alcohol. Y'all get it later, okay? Uh, it's just sparkling. Well, it's just grape juice. But as a noun, it speaks to a superior wine. Here's what it is as an adjective. Vintage as an adjective simply speaks of things of old. Things of old. Things of old. You know, there's an enemy that I've come to know, that many of you have come to know. An enemy that's as old as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. An enemy that doesn't come just knocking at the door during times of holidays like Christmas but an enemy that fights for our attention all year long. He's a formidable foe. He just seems to be more successful, more noticeable around this time of year, doesn't he? We can even go to our cherished Christmas carols, our songs, and even see glimpses of him there, to hear him sung about even in Christmas songs from a generation ago that we love so much. Hey, do you remember this song? Take a listen. Let's see. I'll be home remember? for Christmas. Used to be played on that big giant CD you in your house. Can plan on me. Hey, who, who's singing this song? Anybody know? Just we shout him out. Who is it? Bing Crosby, right? Anybody know the date? 2002, no. Uh, what was the day? 1943. Night, long before any of y'all were alive. Bing Crosby sang this song. You know what's amazing about this song? Is that its setting is the back, in the backdrop of this song is World War II. We had soldiers who were fighting in foreign theaters across the world. And this became their anthem. Their song of longing and loneliness home during Christmas, even if only in their dreams. If I love it. Hey, church, do you, do you see him? Do you see the foe, the enemy that I speak of? Did you hear him sung about? How about this song? Do you guys remember this song? Go ahead and play it, team. Come on now. This leg's one to start moving, okay? You're welcome. I ain't going to start dancing. And I love this song. Who's singing this? The King, right? Elvis Presley, 1957, released this in his Christmas album. And listen, it's become a classic. But do you hear it? Something's wrong with it. There's a longing, a loneliness, even in his voice, and sung about in this song, right? A broken heart brought about much loneliness in a song on Blue Christmas. Now, this may be my favorite song of all, but, but tell me if you recognize this song. If you could see the foe here. Grandma I love it. Over by a reindeer. 
I think of my mom, Walking home my mother-in-law. We sing this more cheerfully than any other song at Christmas. No 1979. Brother Roy Grandpa wrote this song. I can't believe it's already been 1979. But he wrote this song. And that may actually work to my bad as far as my illustration here because that grandpa losing his wife, grandma, he seems pretty happy about it, right? Like, he seems to welcome loneliness during the Christmas season. But, but hey, do you, did, did, you hear, did you hear the enemy's name in there? Did you, did you sense him? Did you see him? Even in those beloved songs? The foe, the enemy we speak of, is loneliness. Loneliness. It's a plague in our churches. And it's a commonality in our communities. Loneliness. Last year, Cigna, a leading provider of medical care across the globe, published a study where they polled some 20,000 Americans. And their questions were that, are you lonely? Are you lonely? And you know what their findings came to show? That 46%, nearly one in every two Americans, say they are somewhat lonely or they are extremely lonely. That they somewhat have periods of times where they go through loneliness or they are lonely all the time. I begin to ask the question, well, what generation was hit the most? The hardest hit generation for loneliness is Generation Z, 18 through 22-year-olds. At 48.6% of that generation say that they struggle with loneliness. Think of it. The most connected generation to ever grace the planet Earth is the loneliness, is the most disconnected. And I began to pour through that study, and I found that every generation represented here in the church is in the 40th plus percentile of that poll saying simply this, man, I've known loneliness or I'm always lonely. And you know what Cigna would say? Loneliness is an epidemic in American life. Is an epidemic suffered by so many of our generations. You know, I read an article by Adrian Rogers, an incredible pastor, and he asked this question, what is loneliness? And he started off by saying, well, let me tell you what loneliness is not. And here's what he said, loneliness is not solitude. It's not necessarily solitude. I'll I'll be honest with you. Inside of me is is someone who likes to be alone every so often. I I love just getting away from it all and just spending time with the Lord. In fact, you go in the Word of God and oftentimes Jesus went to be alone after being faced with crowds and spent time with the Lord in solitude. So loneliness isn't necessarily solitude. And loneliness isn't necessarily isolation. Do you know that you could be sitting in the midst of this crowd this morning and still feel lonely? Do you know that you could live in a crowded home and still struggle with loneliness? You could work in a a busy office building with a lot of people around you, but yet loneliness is still fighting for your attention. Adrian Rogers would say this, Loneliness is a painful sense of being unwanted, unneeded, uncared for, and maybe even unnecessary. But the question becomes, why is it that loneliness begins to play a part in our story? How is it that loneliness got there? 
How is it that loneliness became a part of your story? And mine, I just jotted down some things that I, I've seen that I know. And you know, loneliness becomes a part of our story oftentimes when tragedy strikes. I, I think specifically right now of, of widows and widowers who have lost someone they've loved for so many years. And how that tragedy striking their marriage is just so difficult and loneliness finds an opportunity. I think of those of you who maybe have buried a child and no parent should ever have to bury a child, but I, I can imagine that when tragedy strikes like that, that loneliness is following suit. I think the loss of family members, friends that you have loved that have gone too soon, but for those in the service, brothers and sisters in arms, lost on a battlefield. Loneliness is a foe that often surfaces when tragedy strikes. But not only a tragedy, what about rejection? What about being rejected? Loneliness seems to come to the surface when you and I experience rejection. I think a broken relationship. When mom or dad leaves, when a husband or wife is unfaithful, when your child won't speak to you anymore, a friendship that you so cherished is now broken, betrayal that has taken place, loneliness rears its ugly head oftentimes when we feel rejected. How about sickness? Man, for those of you guys who struggle through some physical disease or sickness, and it's amazing that once your body is worn down, how it seems as if loneliness tries to strike. Maybe there's wounds that you can see, but maybe there are wounds that go unseen in our mental health. And often we don't see those types of wounds, but when our mental health is in a, a place of struggle and of suffering, Loneliness seems to take an invitation into our lives. Loneliness is suffered by those oftentimes who suffer wounds we can see and wounds we cannot see. I think of this, that oftentimes loneliness becomes a part of our story because of sin. Think of it, when, when you and I engage in sin, automatically we, we are separated to some extent in our relationship with the Father. That's what sin does. It separates us. And when we're in seasons of sin, when we're engaging in sin, man, I'll tell you what, one of the very natural byproducts of all sin is loneliness, is separation. Now, I want you to note that not all loneliness is a result of sin. Sometimes loneliness just happens. But for those who are in a season of sin or engaging in sin, Loneliness is a byproduct and is a common companion of sin. So here's the truth, church. You ready? You have either known loneliness before, are in a season of loneliness right now, or will one day walk through a time of loneliness. You might say, well, Pastor Andy, listen, I I'm not struggling with loneliness right now. Well, you know what? You may not be, but statistics show that you are close to someone who is. That your life is touched by someone who's going through a season of loneliness. So the question becomes, does God have an answer to your loneliness? Does God have an answer to this epidemic of loneliness that is going on around us? And emphatically, yes, he does. 
It's found in passages where we're going to study today, like that of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And I invite you to turn your Bibles there if you would, because I'm ready to set the stage for you. You see, it would be on this stage that we catch our first glimpse of God's answer for our loneliness. You see, some 700 years before Jesus was born on that first Christmas morning, God raised up a prophet, a spokesman by the name of Isaiah to a king by the name of Ahaz, king of Judah. At this time, David's kingdom is now split. To the north, you have the kingdom of Israel under the reign of King Pekah, and you've got the southern kingdom of Judah under the reign of King Ahaz. Everybody's saying King Ahaz. Hey, he's important to the story. Y'all remember that name. Well, lo and behold, the northern kingdom, the King Pekah of Israel, got into a coalition with King of Aram, and they decided it was time for that southern king, King Ahaz, to go. So they formed a coalition, and their plan was to take the king out, to dethrone him, and to put their own king on the throne. Let me tell you this about King Ahaz. The word of God would teach us that this boy was terrified that he was scared to death. Now, there's a lot of history that we're talking about here. So I'm going to ask Zach Bennett, our worship pastor, um, come on up. Zach Bennett, where are you at, bro? I'm here. <laughs> Lord, is that you? Where are you? Okay, here, okay. Um, completely off the cuff. I mean. Did not prepare this. At all. At all. <laughs> no all right, so here's what I want him to do. I want him to help us kind of tell this history in a more Christmassy way, okay? I mean, I don't want to bore you with a lot of history, so let, let's just change some of this history into a, uh, a Christmas carol. So what I've talked about so far, because you love my preaching, and every time I do it, and you listen so well, um, is wow. I want you to just take maybe like Silent Night, and let's just tell, summarize what I just talked about okay. with Silent Night, completely off the cuff. Nice light work. Okay. Light, lighting of everything. Right. Silent Night. Scary night, all is wrong, nothing right. Round his nation the enemy lay. A has cried till break Beautiful. Of day. Hey, right there, good. Let's give it up for Brother Zach. It's a good song. Hey, stay right here because we got a little more of the story to go. Now, here's what we find, that King Ahaz, terrified and scared of these two kingdoms coming together to topple his. We find that instead of relying on the Lord, King Ahaz, instead of relying on the Lord's promise, the words of the Lord's prophet, decided he would put his trust and his energies in trying to align with the Assyrians. Now, listen, the Assyrians were godless Pay. Man, they didn't love the Lord. This was not God's will for King Ahaz or for the people of Judah. Now, Zach, so help me make this Christmassy, maybe to the tune of Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells, here we go. <sighs> Ahaz is scared, Ahaz is scared, Ahaz is scared to death. Won't listen to God above and nearly wet his pants. All right, hey, listen, perfect. What says Christmas more than that, right? And so here's what happens. So the Lord sends Isaiah to King Ahaz and simply says, listen, I, I want you to tr trust in God, King Ahaz. You gotta trust in him. And then Isaiah, told of by the Lord, said, hey, King Ahaz, you know what you need to do? You need to ask God for a sign. King Ahaz said, absolutely not. 
I will not ask God for a sign. Now, this isn't because he's super spiritual. Rather, it was because he just didn't trust God's promise or God's word through the very prophet of Isaiah. And so here's what we find out God does. Whether Ahaz wanted it or not, God's going to give him a sign. Zach, summarize that, if you would, in just the best way ever. This is the grand finale, okay? These are very spiritual lyrics, so here we go. Ahaz got ran over by a camel. Yes. Walking out his castle battle eve. You can say there's no such thing as sissies, but because of Ahaz, we believe. Yeah, don't, let's give it up don't. for Brother Sai <laughs> for helping to make some, some of our Christmas history here in the book of Isaiah. You, you know what's amazing is that God has an answer for loneliness, and we see it in this story. And here's what I want to remind you about loneliness. You ready? Loneliness is a debilitating foe. If you've ever experienced loneliness, if you've ever had a season of loneliness, it very well can be a debilitating foe. And the question may come, does God have an answer for such a foe in our lives? And, and let, me, let me be honest with you. Can I tell you what we're really good at hiding sometimes? How lonely we really are. It's a pretty easy thing when we get really good at it to hide. So easy sometimes that we forget to ask the question, does God have an answer for it? But we are going to begin to see God's very answer to the loneliness in our lives. If you have your Bibles in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in the midst of this King Ahaz, him being terrified, God's going to give him a sign. The Bible says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, track with me here just for a minute. You ready? What we see here is a promise of God that had a partial fulfillment right here in the day of Isaiah and King Ahaz. You see, a woman who was known to Ahaz, who was unmarried, will marry and she will become pregnant, and she will give to a birth to a son, and that son, every time King Ahaz lays his eye on that boy, will be reminded of the promise and the word of God that he would not let the king of Israel and the king of Aram overcome his kingdom. But what we find here in Isaiah chapter 7 is only a partial fulfillment. Because what happens is, is we know little here in Isaiah of how this promise was played out in his day. We know nothing really of the child. We know nothing of his mother. We know very little about the circumstances surrounding his birth, and little is said about him later on in the book. And so the question is, why is so little known? Because you see, the child in Isaiah's day was only a partial fulfillment of God's promise. For there would come a time that this promise would be fully realized. The greater purpose of this promise would be played out. But the question becomes this, church. You ready? When? When is this time coming? And who is this child that they're talking about? As I lose my, my God here. Who's this child that they are talking about? You know, I think of the name Emmanuel here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. 
If you've been around the Christmas scene, the church scene at all in your life, and especially around Christmas time, doesn't the name Emmanuel ring a bell? Haven't you kind of sung it before? Maybe in reading the Christmas story, you've, you've ran across the name Emmanuel. It kind of rings a bell during this time of year, doesn't it? Let's do this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. So let's go 700 years in the future in your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have it, I have it right up here. Now, i got to set the stage for you. Ready? There's this young girl by the name of Mary who is pregnant. The, promise, the problem is that she's already been promised to Joseph, and that ain't his boy. Right? She comes home. She reveals to Joseph that she is pregnant with child and says, this is not of my doing, it's of the doing of God, right? There was an angel, the power of the most high God overshadowed me, and now I am pregnant with God's son. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's a hard pill to swallow for anybody, right? My daughter's coming home like that one day. I, I just probably not gonna handle as well as I thought I would, right? Imagine being Joseph. She's promised to you, now she's pregnant. Listen, in all the confusion and all the fear of that moment, Joseph decides, being the decent man he is, that he's just going to quietly divorce her. He's going to quietly just walk away. Well, it would be in that moment that God would send to him an angel. The angel that, that would proclaim this news to Mary now shows up with Joseph and begins to validate, give Mary some street cred, for the story she has told Joseph. And here's what the Bible says here in Matthew 21, verse one. The Bible says this. The angel speaking to Joseph said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Remember we talked last week, that's exactly what the name Jesus means. Verse 22, all of this took place. Now watch this, to fulfill. Now, if what happened in Isaiah 7, 14 was a partial fulfillment, Man, this is setting itself up to be the full fulfillment of what God had said through the prophet. In verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, and there it is again. Emmanuel. There it is, church. The angel of God just let us in on who the fully realized promise of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is, and his name is Jesus. Matthew recorded the words of this angel and those words showed us the greater purpose of that promise some 700 years earlier. But you gotta understand that Isaiah 7, 14 was not just a promise for the people of Judah and their king, but a promise for all humanity, the promise of Jesus from the line of Judah. You see, the promise is this, the title he bears Emmanuel, that God is with us. God with us. You know, I can imagine Joseph being a Jewish man, Mary being a Jewish girl, as they talked about this incredible visit from the angel and all that the angel had told Joseph. I can imagine their ears perked up. You know why? Because they were used to God sending deliverers. They had read about it their entire lives. You see, it was God who would send Moses in the time of the Exodus. It would be God who would raise up judges in the early years of sin of the people of God in the promised land. 
You see, it would be God who would bring David into the picture as the Philistines pressed against the people of God, and so on and so on. They were used to the stories of God sending a deliverer, but something was different about this deliverer. God was not sending somebody else. God was sending his son, the promise of his presence, Emmanuel, to the people. This was far different than anything they'd ever heard before. I love how John would phrase it up. He would say this in John 1, 14, that the word became flesh, that Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, I love this word dwelling here. This word dwelling could also be translated and probably better yet translated as tabernacle. Tabernacle. Now follow me just for a minute here. In the Old Testament, the people of God met with God in two different venues. Number one, there was the physical presence, the temple that was more permanent. And then there was the tabernacle that would travel with the people in the wilderness as they journeyed. That God would meet with them in the tabernacle. And in a sense, by very definition, a tabernacle is a, a tent. And that's where God would meet with his people. Now, now watch this. That the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what that could read? that the word became flesh and he tabernacled with us. Now, the theological implications are overwhelming, but let me sum it up this way. What he is saying here in John is that Jesus came and made a tent of flesh in which he dwelled so that he could walk among us, so that he could live among us, so that he could talk among us, ultimately so that he could die among us and that he could rise from the grave among us. That God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, the very picture is of Jesus clothing himself with flesh and dwelling or tabernacling with us here on earth. I love how Paul would describe it. In Colossians 2.9, he would say this, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Emmanuel, God is with us. Hey, you ready to celebrate this truth together? That God has an answer for our loneliness and here's what we find, you ready? That in Emmanuel, Loneliness may be a debilitating foe, but in Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, God for us because of Christ, loneliness is a defeated foe. Loneliness is a defeated foe. You know what Christmas does in the story of Christmas? Whether it's found 700 years before the Christmas story in Isaiah, thousands of years in Genesis 3.15, or as we read the Christmas story unfold in Matthew chapter one, you know what it does? It deals loneliness a devastating and deadly blow. Church, hear me. How? Through Emmanuel. God with us, God in us, and God for us in Christ. I jotted this down. The reality of Emmanuel is that in Christ, you are not alone you are loved. The reach of Emmanuel reminds us that no one has to be rejected, but in Christ that all can be redeemed. 
Here's the result of Emmanuel, that you are not abandoned but adored, not forsaken but forgiven, not worthless but worthwhile to Jesus. Therefore, loneliness does not have to define your story, and loneliness does not have the last say in your life. Emmanuel does. Emmanuel does. On this earth, the promised Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't mean that we will never ever face the feeling of loneliness or struggle with seasons of loneliness. But hear me, it means that in those seasons and in the midst of those feelings, we are never alone. You know, oftentimes you read some of the great passages in the New Testament, like the Great Commission, where Jesus challenges the disciples, challenges us, man, to get out of this building, to go in the world, to make disciples, right? To baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything he's commanded with them. And at the very end of that, he says, and surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. And you begin to ask the question, man, how is that even close to true? How is that even close to possible? You ready? Emmanuel. There it is. God is with us. I read places like Hebrews 13, 5, where the Bible, hearkening on the Old Testament, says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, the author of Hebrews writes. And you begin to go, man, how is that? How is that even a possibility? And then we're reminded of Emmanuel, that God is with us through Jesus. It's the promise of his presence. Man, I love Santa Claus. Me and him are like this. I love presents. <laughs> I, by the way, for Christmas, I'm registered at the Beef Jerky Hut, so just so you guys know that. Um, but far more than Christmas presents under the tree is the promise of his presence in your life and my life every moment of every day. That's what Emmanuel means. That's how Emmanuel is fleshed out in your life and in my life. So what is the challenge coming off of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14? What is the challenge found in Matthew chapter one? This challenge of Emmanuel, you ready? That when seasons of loneliness do come, when loneliness shows up, that you and I are to shout out this truth. You ready? I am not alone. I'm loved. That's the promise of Emmanuel. When loneliness does come, you got to remember this church. You are not alone. You're going to shout this truth, and here's how you do it. You ready? By whispering his name. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, what's in a name? Everything, everything. Here's another challenge coming off this text. Is that if you're not going through a season of loneliness, somebody around you is. Maybe somebody you know, somebody you love, hey, or even somebody you don't know and somebody you've yet to love but loneliness is a part of their story. Know this in Christ. Emmanuel lives in you. And you know what you and I have the incredible joy of being able to do? 
is living out Emmanuel in their life. Being the physical reminder that, hey, listen, in your season of loneliness, you are not alone. God is with you. And you know what? He's using me to be right here with you. You be Emmanuel to what is a culture and a community that is dying of loneliness, that is devastated by loneliness. I want to close in a story. Um, Dr. James Dobson tells this story of a woman by the name of Stella Thornhope. Stella Thornhope. Man, just a great name. Well, here's her story as it was played out. Not too long ago, her husband of many years, who she had taken care of and watched as he battled a terrible cancer that ultimately took his life. She was his caretaker. Well, her husband finally died, and she was devastated by his loss. You know, she she'd relied so much on him, and now he was gone. All those decades of marriage were, were over. And lo and behold, it was Christmas time. And the reality that she was to spend her first Christmas alone hit her in a really hard way. She looked across the street and there her neighbors had set up all their Christmas lights as they do every year. And she was reminded of how every year with her husband, man, they would set up those Christmas lights, that Christmas tree together. And this being her first Christmas alone, she just couldn't bring herself to do it. To make matters worse, a weather system had moved in and she was all but snowed into her house. On her first Christmas without her husband, she was completely alone. That is until Stella heard somebody knocking at her door. And as she answered the door in bewilderment, she saw a a boy there and he had a box in his hand. And she said, son, come on inside. It's cold out there. And he came inside and he put the box on the floor. And he handed her a receipt and said, ma'am, please sign here. And she said, what's in the box? And he said, man, I just need you to, to, to sign here. And she said, son, what's in the box? And so he opened the flaps and he pulled out a golden retriever puppy, a live one um, that was six weeks old. And he said, ma'am, this is a, a golden retriever puppy, six weeks old. Um, he was picked out even before he was born there at the kennel and uh, and it's supposed to be your, your Christmas present. So Merry Christmas. He's house trained and he's a great puppy. First of all, that's a lie. There ain't never been a puppy in six weeks been house trained. Anyway, um, but he's house trained and, and then he's yours. And so she picked up the dog and she said, well, who sent this? And he said, ma'am, here's an envelope. In this, everything is explained. I've got to go. And she stopped him and said, young man, I'm asking you. Tell me who sent this puppy to me. And he said, your husband did. Three weeks before he died, he picked out this puppy before it was born, wrote us this letter, and told us to give this to you on Christmas Eve. And Stella lost it. 
And she held that puppy tight and she opened up the envelope. And there was a handwritten note from her husband that she had missed so much. And in it, she began to read the love and the encouragement that her husband wrote. Notes saying, be strong during this time. She saw as he wrote out how much he would long and wait on her for the day that she gets to heaven to join him. And he had sent her this puppy so she'd be reminded of him and she wouldn't have to be alone on Christmas. After reading the letter, she, she wept. She sent the boy on his way and there she was with her puppy. And in her words, she says, the next memory I have was over the radio in the kitchen, the song, Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. Let earth receive her king. Played over the radio, and she said this, suddenly, the most amazing sensation of peace washed over me. My heart felt a joy and a wonder greater than my grief and my loneliness. And she, so she took the puppy, she says, and she looked at him and said, you know what, I guess it's just you and me. Now there's a box downstairs, it's got some Christmas decoration. There's an old small tree down there. Why don't we go downstairs and why don't we get to putting some lights up and the tree up? It's amazing that something as simple as a puppy could go a long way in reminding a widowed woman of her husband, of his love and his care. And after I read that story, I thought, isn't that what God did for us? In an immeasurably more way in a bigger way than we could have ever imagined. You see, when humanity was at its loneliest, when mankind's heart was broken beyond compare, he didn't send a gift in a box, but in a womb. It was no puppy as great as they are. It was the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would not alleviate our loneliness for a mere season, But the reality of Christmas is that Christ is with us, in us, and for us for all of eternity. You ready, church? God's answer to our loneliness is his son who bore the title Emmanuel, the reminder that God is with us. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.